on front row. If you want to hear something beautiful, sit on front row. You heard it, Jane? I heard it too. Man, it was, y'all were, it was like a beautiful choir this morning singing his praises. Hallelujah. Uh, children are dismissed to Children's Church. They can join my lovely wife. And if you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Paul will bring you a Bible. And uh, if you have your Bible, turn to Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3. We, we have been studying Titus chapter 3, verse by verse. And I, I love these small, small books. They're, they're three to four weeks, sometimes five week studies. And they're just loaded with, with nuggets of truth. Biblical principles that we can build our life on as we become a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ. Do you want to become a follower of Christ? Do you truly, in your heart of heart, say, man, I don't care about religion, I don't care about tradition, I just want to follow Christ. If that's your heart's desire, you're in the right place, because that's what I want to teach from God's Word, teach principles that help us become uh, more devout followers of Christ, and who live out our Christian life for His glory and for His honor. Amen? Amen. So let's pray, and then we'll get into... uh, This morning we're going to Titus chapter 3, the whole entire chapter, verses 1 through 15. So let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray, God, this morning that you just speak to our hearts, that you challenge us, Lord, to live a godly life, Lord, to to live a legacy that, that, uh, that shines for others to follow. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we thank you for your word and we thank you for your truth. This in Titus chapter 3 that we're going to look at this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Just to get everybody caught up, if you haven't been with us for a couple of weeks or whatever, or maybe you're visiting with us this morning, we're studying verse by verse through Titus. Titus was uh, a pastor that the Apostle Paul left on the island of Crete to establish the church there. This is, this is, this is after, actually after the book of Acts. The book of Acts ends with... Uh, Paul's house arrest, and and then history tells us, as well as the scriptures tell us, that after his house arrest, he's released for a short period of time. And he does some uh, ministry in Macedonia, in Crete, in Nicopolis, and now he's uh, leaving his young pastor there at Crete to to establish the church, to appoint elders, as we saw in uh, Titus chapter 1. So the title of my message this morning is, Living a Godly Life. Living a godly life. What does it look like? What is it all about? You know, what is a godly life? What is, in your mind, what's the definition of a life that is godly? Listen, give you a couple quotes this morning. Dr. Tony Evans says this concerning a godly life. He says, godliness is a lifestyle that is consistent with the character of God. Godliness does not mean perfection, but it does mean growth and consistency where we are both desirous of any functioning in a way that reflects who God is. And to that I say amen. Godliness is you and I reflecting the Lord Jesus Christ to the world around us. Dr. David Jeremiah said this. He said, trust is an act of the mind while obedience is an act of the hands and the feet. And to that I say amen. It's it's how we live our lives. It's how The Holy Spirit comes in, we have faith in God, he transforms us, he changes us, and then it's more than just belief, 
but it's a life in action. It's a life that demonstrates to the world that Christ is in us. So we're, so we're called. So we're called to live a godly life. So let's look this morning at what the Word of God says concerning living a godly life. Let's take a look at verse 1. Remind them to be subject to rulers and to authorities and to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed. So what is godly living in verse 1? Godly living is, guys, being a model citizen, being a model citizen in in our world. It means uh, paying our taxes. It means obeying the laws of the land. But the key thing when, when it comes to being subject to rulers and authorities, it says there halfway through verse 1, it says what? Be obedient. Be obedient. And our obedience is first to God. Our, our obedience is first to his word. But, however, we do obey the laws of the land. And the only exception for that is when the laws of the land tell us to disobey the Lord. And when that happens, it's what we call civil disobedience. We say, no, I'm not going to sin against God, but I'm going to do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. In Acts chapter 5, Peter and John, Acts chapter 5, Peter and John are on trial for, um, are on trial before the Sanhedrin, before the Jewish religious leaders, and they're on trial for preaching the gospel. Listen to Acts chapter 5, verses 28 and 29. The religious leaders tell John and Peter this. This is their statement to the disciples. And they're laying the wood. And he says, We gave you strict orders not to continue teaching in this name, and yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. So basically, the, the Jewish leaders were like, you need to shut your mouth and stop preaching the gospel. You're causing an upheaval. And look at verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, what? We must obey God rather than men. You know, we are, we are law-abiding citizens. We respect our law. We respect our government. We obey the laws of government, except when they tell us not to do what God says for us to do. So who is our allegiance to? Our allegiance in all things is always to the Lord in all matters. Obedience is always the right answer. I want to give to you another scripture. 1 Samuel 15, 22. This is uh, Samuel. And he says, Does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? And he says, To obey is better than sacrifice. And to heed is better than the fat of rams. Guys, God delights in our obedience. Do you know that? God delights in our obedience. Because what that shows when we're obedient to him, it shows what's truly in our hearts. It shows the work of grace in our lives. It shows the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. It shows the the heart of a servant when we say, Lord, I want to obey you. And he says there in verse 22, he says, to obey is better than sacrifice. Obedience and faith go hand in hand in the New Testament. You really can't separate them. And, 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 and this, this reveals, again, who we are truly committed to. He continues in verse 1. He says there at the very end of it, great nugget there. He says, to be ready for every good deed. That phrase, be ready, means to be standing at attention. 
like a soldier ready to receive his orders from the commander-in-chief, ready to obey. This is, it says what? Ready for every good deed. This is godly living that we're ready to serve. We're ready to serve Christ Jesus. We're ready to serve the, the body. We're, able, we're, we're ready to give. We're able to help others. It's when you give of yourself and you give of your time that, that, you, that you do good deeds and that we're ready. Look at verse 2. He continues. He says, this is good, guys. This is so many times in my life, I think back to my failures. And I, and I think back to the times I've blown it. And if I just would have read my Bible, I, I think the Lord would have helped me greatly. But look at verse 2. Verse 2, he, he opens up with, to malign no one. You know, this is godly living, guys. This is godly living 101, that we don't slander people's names. You know, and how do you, what's the greatest way you slander someone's name? Starts with a G. Gossip. Gossip. We're not in the business of gossiping. If you've got nothing good to say about somebody, don't say nothing at all. If you have an issue with a brother or sister, don't come tell me. Don't go tell somebody else. Go straight to that person. That's the way you work it out. That's biblical. That's what a disciple does, is, 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 is we go to that person one-on-one. Because we're not in the business of, of hurting people's names or, or gossiping about people. But we want to be in the business of building disciples and building godly men and women who are men and women of their word. Verse 2 continues. He says, this is another beautiful truth. It says in verse uh, 2, to be peaceable, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. That's being godly. Romans chapter 12 verse 18 says, if possible so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. This is godly living, that we're peaceful towards all people. That we're, you know, we're not hostile. You know, we're, we're not looking for a fight. That's not a follower of Christ. We don't get physical. We don't, we don't get hostile with people. You know, we want to live at peace with all men. So hopefully, if they're not a believer, that that gives us a doorway to share the gospel. And to share with them the truth of Christ Jesus. And to obey that command in scripture. Not to gossip. And not, not to hurt other people. With our words. So there's another beautiful principle that we're peaceful towards all people. People need to be, it needs to be said to the believers, man, those people love God and they love people. That's what should be said of us in all situations, in all circumstances, in our neighborhood, at our work, in our church, and throughout our, um, our life. It should be that way. Now, let's look at verse three. Paul's gonna take a turn right here. He's gonna take a turn right here. And here's the principle. Living a godly life is understanding where you came from and what got you to where you are now. So he's going to talk about where we came from. Look at verse 3. He says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Who's he talking about right there? He's talking about you and me. Before we came to Christ. He's talking about every person before they come to Christ. It's called darkness. We like to say say this is our our BC days. This was life before Christ. This is what it looks like when you're not living for Christ. So let's look at it. Verse 3, he says, first thing he says, uh, for we also once were foolish ourselves. You know, the most foolish decision a person can make in this life is not to live for Christ. 
and to stay in a place of darkness. I was a fool for 22 years. I was a fool for 22 years. All those days I lived without Christ in my life and not serving him. That was the most foolish mistake I could ever make. I was void of the life of God. I was living in darkness. If I would have stepped into eternity without Christ, I would have perished on judgment day. Very foolish thing. The most wise thing you can do, though, is trust in Christ and and, and make him your Lord and Savior. Follow him. Then he says in verse 3, disobedient. That disobedient, that means what it says. They don't obey. We didn't obey God's law. You know, we were enslaved to our carnal lust. He says there in verse 3, next one is deceived. That means that, uh, that we believe the lie. I believed the lie for many, many years. And that lie was, I ain't got no need for Christ. I don't, I don't, I don't need him. What do I need him for? I don't need him for nothing. That was a lie I believed before I came to Christ. To, to, to be deceived is to, um, live like, to say you can live like you want to and there's no consequences for your actions. That's foolish. That's deception. And I, and I lived that way. Not just some of my life. Uh, not, not just some of my days before Christ, but every day, all day before I came to Christ. He says they're enslaved to various lusts and pleasures. You know, before Christ, we, you and I, were in a tomb. You and I were in a prison cell, and we didn't have the keys. We didn't have the keys. We were incarcerated, and there was no way out. We, we were enslaved. That's what the word is like. We were incarcerated. We were, we were taken in, and we couldn't get out. But guess who, came, guess who has the key? Him. The Lord Jesus Christ. He came to your tomb. He came to your jail cell. And he opened the key. And he let you out. And gave you freedom by your trusting in him. And living for him. Beautiful. Beautiful thing the Lord has done. Who would reject this? Why does the world reject him? He offers them freedom. He offers them forgiveness. He says, come out of your jail cell. Come out of your place of incarceration. Come experience new life. Come experience forgiveness of sin. Come experience joy. Come experience his peace. But man, men choose to stay in their cell. Why? Because they love sin more than they love Jesus. And if they'll just open their eyes and understand the consequences of sin, they would be like, Lord, Come open my cell. Come open up my cell. Let me come out and let me walk in this freedom. The next part of verse 3 there, he says, spending their life in malice. That word malice there in um, verse 3, it means to be filled with wickedness, to be filled with evil. You know, that was, that was life before Christ. And then it says, and envy, and envy. You know what envy means? Envy means you're never satisfied. They're, they're, they're never satisfied. They go from place to place to place to place to place. And they try to fill their heart with things that can't fill their heart like Christ Jesus. You know, that's, they're, they're never satisfied. They go from one thing to the next. If, if they would just understand, if you'll just come to Christ, he will be everything. He will fill your heart. He will fill your life. He will fill your family. Then it closes in verse 3. Hateful and hating one another. You know, that's where hate comes from. That's where hate comes from. It comes from hearts that are darkened and they need the light of the Lord Jesus Christ to come into their life. That's where hate comes from. And, there, and, and I remember my days before Christ, I was filled with anger, I was filled with hatred. But when Christ came on the scene, all of that melted away. 
And God replaced all that hatred and anger and gave me love. Gave me love for him, love for my family, love for my church, love for people that are lost. He gave me an agape love from the Lord that says, you know what? I'm going to love all people. No matter who they are, where they're from, what they're all about, I'm going to love them in the name of Christ Jesus and share the gospel with them. But living a God, but going back to the, the, the title of my sermon, living a godly life means you understand this. It means you understand the past, and it makes you, and it makes you say, "I do not want to go back. I do not want to go back." That's what grace does. That's what living a godly life is. That was you and I. That was me before Christ. But look at f- verse four. You know, our parents, your parents. Have, have you heard your parents say, "Don't give me no buts." You know, a lot of times the word but is associated with something uh, negative or n- no if ands, or buts. But this is a good but. Look at verse 4. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. Verse, verse 4 right there, two things appeared. What were they? The first one in verse 4, it says his kindness appeared. What does the scripture say about God's kindness? What does it lead us to? Repentance. The kindness of God leads us to a place of biblical repentance where we say, God, we, 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 King David, Psalms 51, we proclaim, against you and you alone have I sinned and done this evil. But, but, but um, kindness appears, God's kindness, and it brings you and I to a place of repentance. The second thing that shows up in verse 4, he says there is his love, his love. God's love, the, God, the, the agape love of God that shows up on the scene. And what does God's love lead us to? God's love leads you and I to the greatest act of love in human history, and that is the cross. The cross. The love of God leads you not to a church, not to a family member, not to a friend, even though some of those things God will use to be instrumental in bringing you to the ultimate thing, but the ultimate thing that the love of God brings you to is to the cross, to the cross. Then he says in verse 5, he saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. I love how verse 5 opens up. Don't let this slip by. It says, he saved us. He did it. That means that you and I, we, you and I, we brought nothing to the table. All we brought to him was filthy rags and a desperate, empty heart. And he does, the, he does the work. He saved us. We don't save ourselves. All we do is open our hearts and say, Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I put my trust in you. Please come into my life. And then he says there in verse 5, not on the basis of deeds, which we have done in righteousness. Again, you and I bring nothing to the table. We are bankrupt. Our, the, the scripture says that our works are as filthy rags, and we bring nothing. It's all him. It's all for his glory. It's all for his honor that he brings a person into his presence, takes them to the cross, he cleanses them, he forgives them, and he gives them a new life. Why? Because all of that working is in line with the attributes of God, all for his glory, all for his love that he demonstrates towards us. And then he continues in verse 5. Now in verse 5, uh, 
the Holy Spirit through Paul is transitioning to the work of the Holy Spirit. He says halfway through verse 5, oh wait, wait, I I, I, I just skipped over one. In the middle of verse 5, according to his mercy. According to his mercy. I can't can't leave that undone. You know, our, our, our rebellion, our disobedience before we came to Christ deserved judgment. It deserved judgment. But God, in accordance with his attributes, in accordance with his love, in accordance with his grace, he showed us mercy. Mercy is when someone deserves judgment, but they don't get it. And you didn't get judgment. You got mercy. Guess who got your judgment? Christ Jesus at the cross. Now let's continue into the part of the Holy Spirit. Halfway through verse 5, he says, By the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. Let's go a little further. In verse 6, Whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Guys, this is what the Holy Spirit does. This is what the Spirit of the Lord does when you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. When you repent, believe, and you decide to follow him. The first thing he does, um, halfway through verse 5, what, is it, what does he do? It says, by the washing, by the washing, the Holy Spirit washes us. How does he wash us? The Holy Spirit takes what happened at Calvary and he applies it to your heart. And we are forgiven by the sacrifice that Jesus made at the cross. In every sin, every rebellious thought, every rebellious action is washed away. Is washed away. As the Holy Spirit takes what happened at Calvary, because you're trusting in it, you're believing it, you're, you're loving it, you're following it. It's, it's, you, you love it and you cling to it. He takes that and he applies it to your life and he washes you. And then look at the next phrase. Beautiful words here that we don't want to miss out on. By the washing of what? Regeneration. Regeneration. What's he talking about there? Regeneration. That word uh, brings on the thought of bringing on something new. What's he talking about? The same thing that Jesus talked about in John chapter 3 with Nicodemus. And that is being born again. That word regeneration. Being born again. You've been born again. Every single person comes into this life through a mother and father and a mother giving birth. And that's the first birth. Okay? But in order to enter the kingdom of God, a person has to be born again. Born a second time. And that second rebirth, regeneration, comes from receiving Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you're born again. You're given a new life. The things that you once loved, the sin and the darkness you hate, and the things that you now love, righteousness and going to church and hanging out with the brothers and sisters in Christ, you love it and you live for it because you've been born again, a new life. The old David... David Ford, that was born December 28, 1970, he passed away in 1992. He passed away. Jesus captured his heart and rescued him. In the old, according to Galatians 2.20, he, he passed away and the new man came to life. And that's the David that's standing before you this morning. The next, uh, the next phrase there in verse 5, it says, and renewing, and renewing. I love that word right there in the middle, new you know, I looked at that word, and it's like this renewing by the Holy Spirit, the new life, the new life. You're, you're like a, a new tree planted, a new tree planted in a power pot, in a pot, and you're growing. And it's this new life that's coming out of you. It's this new life where you, you're loving the things of the Lord. You're loving his word. 
and you're leaving the past behind. These are things that the Holy Spirit does in the life of the believer. He says, by the Holy Spirit, as he ends verse 5 there, by the washing and regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 6. Whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That phrase there, he poured out upon us richly. Richly. That means he took the Holy Spirit came in and flooded you. The Holy Spirit comes in and covers you. The Holy Spirit comes in and he's more than enough. He's more than enough in washing you, regenerating you, and renewing you. He poured out upon you richly. The picture is that of a, of a, a glass cup being filled with water by a pitcher. And after the, the, the water fills up the pitcher, it just keeps on pouring. It just keeps on flowing over you. That's what the grace of God does. That's what the Holy Spirit does. Then verse 7. Look, at, look closely at verse 7. Another beautiful verse. We're talking about the past, the old life, a while ago. Now we're talking about the new life. Look closely at verse 7. So that being justified by his going to church? No. By being a good person? No. By, by baptism? Don't say that either. What does it say? Being justified by his grace. Being justified by his grace, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. You know, a, a person is justified by God's grace. There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor, okay? There's nothing you can do to earn God's favor. There's nothing you can do to earn God's a, a, approval. All you can do is open your heart to grace. All you can do is open your heart to Jesus and receive what he is giving to you. Receive what he is, what is he, he is imparting to you. To receive his Holy Spirit. To receive him as your Lord and Savior. So that being justified by his grace. It, it, the, the Christian life, my friend, it begins with grace. It continues with grace. And guess what? It ends with grace. It's so important. You know, in church life, so many times people can get away from grace and they start thinking it depends on their works. They start thinking it depends on their church attendance or it depends on how much money they give or it depends on the things that they do. My friend, it depends on none of those. It depends on grace. Your walk begins, continues, and ends with God's grace. And, that, and it says being justified. That word justified means to be declared righteous. To be declared righteous. God's grace is what every sinner needs. God's grace is what every Christian, every believer needs. More than anything else, we want his grace operating in our lives. That's the beautiful uh, Went to a funeral yesterday, and uh, we sang Amazing Grace at this chapel out in uh, Batesburg, Leesville. One of the most beautiful songs. This young lady, uh, she, she passed away at an early age, and the chaplain got up there, and he, he, he was telling us about his encounter with her a couple weeks, a couple months ago. And, and he talked to her about grace, and he talked to her about, hey, it's not about what you've done. 
because she kept getting hung up on well, about what she had done. But he was like, no, it's about grace. It's about grace. And that's the message that we need to convey to this world, that we need to convey to our family, to our friends, and our neighbors. It's not about your, your good works, but it's about God's grace. So many people, thousands if not millions of people around the world, they have this thought pattern, well, once I get my life together, then I'll go to church. That's not how it works. That's not how it works. We bring nothing. He is everything. That's what every person needs is grace. Verse 8. Verse 8, he says, this is a trustworthy statement. And concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently so that those who have believed God will be careful to engage in good deeds. These things are good and profitable for men. My hope and my prayer this morning is as I'm, as I'm teaching the word, I hope this comes across to you as speaking confidently. Because these are the truths of the scripture. You know, it's, it's because of grace. Keep it in context here. Verse 7 talks about grace. Verse 8 talks about good deeds. It's because of grace you and I should be rich in good works. You and I should be rich in good works. Not that we're saved by them, but that we're saved to do them and to show the world Christ. We're, because of grace, we love one another. We, we love one another deeply and we care for each other. That's the body working together. It's because of grace. And, and it's not just within the body. It's not just within the church. It also goes out into the neighborhood. It also goes out into the world. But because of grace, you and I should be profitable to all people. To all people. So when we see someone struggling in our neighborhood, maybe they're not a Christian. Go and do good deeds in the name of Christ. Help them out. I remember it was a couple, three or four years ago that major flood came through, Irmo, and a lot of people were, um, houses were wrecked. And we had, we had teams of people that were going out and helping people get their house in, in order and to help them. We took, I think we took some washing machine and dryers to some people. And, um, but we just need to be rich in good deeds. That's, that's very biblical, you know. Sometimes people, you know, they're saved by grace and they, 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 they think that they don't have to do anything. Well, you don't have to do anything for salvation. That's true because it's God's grace that saves us. But that work of grace in our life should be demonstrated in how we live our life and how we help people. And when somebody's in need, when there's a tragedy, when there's something uh, bad going on, that's a perfect opportunity for the believer to step in and say, hey, man. I'll come help you out. I'll come help you out. I'll crawl up under that house in that mud and work my way around those wires to pull all that, that wet insulation. I'm, I'm thankful that I'm alive. I was, we went with the um, Samaritan's Purse downtown, and I was crawling up under these houses, and we were pulling out all the insulation that got wet by the flooding, and I saw a couple sparks fly from some wires. And I said, oh, it's time to get out of here. But... Uh, but we need to be, good. We, we need to be uh, busy about doing good works. We need believers. We need Christians in our political offices. We need Christians in our schools. We need Christians um, throughout our entire community helping others and doing good deeds as a result of grace in their life. Verse 9. Verse 9 as we wrap up the book of Titus. He says, But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and strife and disputes about the law. For they are unprofitable and worthless. Paul says these things are, are unprofitable 
They're worthless. What's, what's he talking about here? In Paul's day, there were ignorant disputes over clean and unclean foods. There were disputes over Sabbath regu- regulations. There were um, disputes over observing holy days. You got to remember in that first century, you know, they're, they're going from Judaism to Christianity. And throughout all the churches that Paul went to on the missionary journeys, he had these guys called the Judaizers. The Judaizers, you read a lot about them in, in the book of Galatians. But they were, they were, Paul would go establish a church, and the Judaizers, after he left, they would come in and try to enforce legalism. And they would try to, uh, try to enforce Jewish tradition on the church. And Paul very sternly in the New Testament corrects this thought process that you have to obey the Jewish laws and the traditions to, uh, in order to be saved. It was by grace and by grace alone. But yet there were still arguments. There were still disputes. And Paul says there in verse 9, what, what are they? They're unprofitable and they're worthless. How does that apply to us today in, in, um, in, in 2020? How does that apply to us today? Simply put, just need to be focused on the word. Christian, your, your meat, your food, your water, your energy, your strength, it all comes from listening to God and his holy word. Not just at church, but in your personal devotion time, in, in your family time. Just listen to what the clear words of scripture say and accept them for what they are, which is the very word of God speaking to you. You want to hear the audible voice of God? Read your Bible out loud and you'll hear the audible voice of God. It is the Lord speaking to us. Verse 10, verse 10, he says, Reject the factious man after a first and second warning, knowing that such a man is perverted and sinning and being self-condemned. Again, back in Paul's day, you can read more. You, you see these guys, the Judaizers, man. They, they were right on Paul's tail. He would come in, establish the church on grace and faith in Christ Jesus. They would come in and, and they would try to divide the bodies that Paul was setting up. And they would try to impose uh, circumcision and, and legalism and following uh, Jewish laws. And, and Paul says here, if somebody comes, first off, a factious man is... is uh, there's, there's actually two definitions for the, the Greek word that's used here. This factious man could be a man that simply is divisive, or he could be a false teacher. It could be, a false, it could be either one. So we'll, we'll say both. So someone that's divisive or that's a false teacher, you, you warn them once, you warn them second, third time, you reject them because they try to bring false doctrine into the church. They try to bring things that are unbiblical. And he, and he says um, to, to, re, to reject them, knowing that such a man is perverted and sinning and being self-condemned. This verse gives us beautiful insight into Paul's thoughts on grace. Paul's thoughts on grace and justification by faith. Okay? Paul vehemently, throughout the entire New Testament, said a person is not saved by works. A person is not saved by doing things or, or following ceremonies or following laws. A person is justified by grace and grace alone. And anybody that tries to contaminate that, he's like, reject them, uh, warn them once, warn them twice, third time, send them packing. But this man is factious, he's divisive, he's a false teacher, he attempts to divide the body, and he causes people to fall away. He introduces weird teaching, you know. 
stuff that's extra biblical, that's this not in the scriptures. They had a writing in the first century that the, it was called the Talmud. And what the Talmud was, it was the rabbis and the, um, the Pharisees' commentary on the Old Testament law. And by the time of Jesus' day, he condemned that. Why? There's nothing wrong with commentary. There's nothing wrong with reading sources outside the Bible. I mean, that's good if they support the Bible. But the, but the, the reason being is they were looking at the commentaries and not the Bible. And there's something this simple and beautiful and clear and truthful just about the simple verse-by-verse teaching of the Scriptures, of what the Word of God says. Now Paul's going to close it up. Paul's going to close it up here. Um, when I send Artemis or Tychius to you, make every effort to come to me at Nicopolis, for I have decided to spend the winter there. Again, this is after the book of Acts, after his um, first house arrest. Uh, church history tells us that he, he goes to Macedonia, he goes to Crete, then he goes to Nicopolis. And according to some um, reports, that it was at Nicopolis that he is uh, apprehended and taken back to Rome for his uh, final imprisonment there at the maritime prison where he would eventually lose his life. But he says here, For I have decided to spend the winter there. Diligently help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, so that nothing is lacking for them. Our people, first off, verse 13, every ministry team, every, every pastor, every shepherd needs a team. He needs a team that will come alongside him, that they will help him. He will help them. It's a team. It's a teamwork. Very thankful for those who serve at Calvary Chapel Irmo. You know, we are a team. We are a team for the Lord Jesus Christ, whether it's worship ministry, children's ministry, student ministry, whatever. We are a team that work together for the glory of God and to advance the gospel. We have to have a team. They had to have a team back then. He says, and then he says in verse 14, he says, uh, Our people must also learn to engage in good deeds and to meet pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Again there, just, I love this. He says, to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs. So basically what that tells us is this. When you see a pressing need, help them out. Help the people out. Financially, physically, helping somebody move, helping someone with their home. If you see a pressing need, you know, we, we want to help other people. And by doing that, you know, we are living a godly life. We are showing, demonstrating our faith inside is real, that we're truly a follower of Christ. And then verse 15, Paul ends most of his letters with this similar phrase, this, this Pauline closing. He says, all who are, are with me greet you. Greet those who love us in the faith. And then I love this, grace. Grace be with you all. Why does he say grace be with you all? Because it's grace that changes us. It's grace, that God's grace that impacts our life. It's the Holy Spirit that comes in and guides us and directs us and leads us by God's grace. I close with this thought this morning. What is a godly life? That's what I opened up my message with. What, what does a godly life look like? Three things. 
A godly life is one being faithful to Jesus Christ. That's a godly life. When your ultimate allegiance is to him. Not to me, not to Calvary Chapel, not to your work, not to your family, but to him and him alone. And then everything else is after that. So being faithful. A godly life, number two, is being obedient. Jesus said in John 17, if you love me, you will obey me. And obedience and faith go hand in hand. But a godly life is being obedient. And thirdly, you know, looking at Titus chapter 3, um, the context of this whole entire book, I think last week's message was the impact of grace upon the church. And um, in Titus chapter 2, Paul personifies grace. Beautiful. He talks about what grace teaches us. Grace teaches us. Grace leads us. And so that the ultimate and the final principle of a godly life is this. A godly life means Walking in the grace of God. Is that not what we need? Is that not what our hearts long for? Is to walk in grace and let his light, his truth, his spirit impact those around us. That's what we need more than anything. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you, Lord. Thank you for Titus chapter 3. Thank you for this beautiful chapter. Lord, teach us, God. Teach us from your word to, to, to live a godly life, to live a life that's patterned after you, Lord Jesus. Not a perfect life, but a life that seeks to obey you, follow you, and live wholeheartedly for you. Lord, thank you for this truth. Thank you for this study. Thank you for your people. And I pray, Father God, that you, you help each and every one of us to desire to do this and then to go out and do it. In Jesus' name we pray, Father. Amen. We're going to close with a song. <clears throat> and uh, this, is, this is our time. We call it prayer and reflection. Um, we'll have some prayer counselors up front. If you need special prayer, please, by all means, take advantage of this opportunity to, to come up front and to be prayed for by our leaders. There'll be some husbands and wives. You know, if all is well, as we sing, close with this song, um, reflect. Reflect on the message. Reflect on your journey of faith. Reflect on your faith, your allegiance. And uh, let's do that. Amen? Amen.